You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Welcome to From Beneath the Hollywood Sign. If you love old movies, Hollywood history, or the golden age of filmmaking, you've come to the right place. This is the podcast that talks about amazing stories of Tinseltown from another era and fascinating conversations with writer-producer Steve Kubine and actress-writer Nan McNamara. So, Steve, did Ava Gardner and Howard Hughes have a good relationship? Well, they did until he dislocated her jaw. What? Well, don't worry. She hit him back with an ashtray. From Beneath the Hollywood Sign is the gin joint for you. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. Welcome to our couch. Take a seat. It's time for therapy. Movie therapy. I'm Rafer Guzman, film critic for Newsday. And I'm Kristen Meinzer, culture critic and co-author of How to Be Fine. In each episode of Movie Therapy, we offer up questionable advice and solid movie and TV recommendations for whatever ails you. Please note, we are not real therapists, but we are real film critics and journalists, and we're also friends with other journalists, including the great Farai Chidea, who will be joining us later for our What Should I Watch Next segment. But first... Let's get to this week's letters. Yes, indeedy. Our first letter is from Doug. Rafer, I'm going to let you take this one away. Okay. Uh, Doug says, Dear Rafer and Kristen, in my family, it's been a tradition for many years to go to the movies on Thanksgiving night after the turkey and before the pie. Because of COVID-19, this tradition is obviously on pause this year. Instead, we've all agreed to stay home, meet by video as we eat dinner, and then watch a movie together on Netflix using the party mode function that you've mentioned on the podcast. The problem? We don't know what movie to watch. We like a wide range of genres, from comedy to action to romance to holiday films. Our only rules are that the film can't be too sad, too scary, too serious, and it must be family-friendly, PG-13. Bonus points if it's also relatively recent, under five years old. Thanks in advance for your advice. Oh, Doug, we love that you are going to be having a socially responsible public health kind of Thanksgiving this year. Yes, yes. No, that's a great idea. Um, And I think you're probably facing the same uh, conundrum that many, many, many people across the country are facing, not just for Thanksgiving, but pretty much every night of our lives for for the past eight months. But it's so true. Thanksgiving and Christmas, Thanksgiving and Christmas, they're such great movie going weekends and you know we're just there's nothing out there to see but you know the new mutants i mean there's just (laughs) there's just nothing man yeah and i have to say rafer i have always associated the holidays with the movies and not just because there are always so many new movies that come out during the holidays but from the time i was a little kid i would you know watch the movies on christmas eve because 
not not to sound like self-pitying here, but on Christmas Eve, my family would normally go to the relatives' houses who all had pets that I was definitely allergic to. So they'd leave me with a TV dinner and the TV set. And then I would watch movies. And um, and you would just stay at home? Yes, with the TV and my TV dinner. And that's, I did that for years as a kid. That's, that sounds so that's that's tragic. That sounds that sounds like the beginning of a of a of a of a sad fairy tale no. that's gonna that I hope turns happy. Oh it does. <laughs> it, it becomes very happy. And then as I got older I could go to the movies by myself and then That sounds better. It became a tradition starting when I was in high school or college that I would go to the movies on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day or Thanksgiving, you know, all those new release holidays. Of course. And then I wouldn't be alone. I would be in an audience with other people and feeling all the feelings and cheering and being a part of a historic film moment because it always feels like a historic film moment on those days. Totally. Frequently, you're seeing something that no one's seen yet. And last year, for example, since this has been a tradition now for so many years of my life, last year, my family and I went to see Jojo Rabbit. It's interesting you mentioned that. Interesting you mentioned Jojo Rabbit. Yes, okay. Yeah, and we loved Jojo Rabbit. It was, you know, I'm sure some people would say, like, that's not a feel-good holiday movie to watch, but it was... Well, but it, I mean, it kind of is. It kind of is. I mean, it's, it's, got a, it's got a message of hope. Yes, it does have a message of hope. We loved it, and it was a new release at that point, so we were really yeah. happy to go to the theater, be a part of a new movie, have a message of hope. There is tragedy in it, but um, yeah, I could tell you for the last 20 years, almost every movie I saw on Thanksgiving or Christmas, because it's been such a part of my life. Wow, that's awesome. All right. Well, so pretend you're heading to the cinema with, you know, a, a range of, of ages, a range of genders, a range of people, different tastes, all these people in your family or your extended family. What are you going to recommend to uh, to our listener? Well, Doug, I am going to recommend to you a movie that just came out on Netflix a few weeks ago. It is called Work It, W-O-R-K. IT work it <laughs> work okay. it work it I can tell by look at you Rafer you have not seen it <laughs> I have not seen this work it the title alone tells you I have not seen this oh but you need to see it work it is okay. a high school comedy dance throwdown of course it is what else would it be directed by Laura Teruso and produced by Alicia Keys it stars Sabrina Carpenter as Quinn. She's a straight-A student who dreams of going to Duke, but when she interviews with an admissions officer there, she's told that her lack of extracurriculars makes her an uninspired candidate. To diversify her application, she sets out to join her high school's championship dance team. The only problem is she can't dance. Here's a clip. Um, I, I'm Quinn Ackerman, and uh, I'm starting a dance team at, at Woodbright High. I'm not so interested. I'm Okay, fine. We'll just win the work at dance competition without you then. We're extremely skilled. <laughs> I can spot a fake anywhere. Well, then you must know that I'm the real deal. You dance? Mm hmm How long? Since I was 10. Influences? Paul Taylor, Ashley Everett, Travis Wall. Look at you. The way you carry yourself, your posture, you're 100% not a dancer. I still have time to learn. Why would you want to enter a dance competition when you don't know how to dance? Fair question. So I may have lied to the Duke College admissions officer, which means now I have to put my money where my mouth is. Give up. Go to community college. I, I can't help you. I don't give up. Well, Kristen, now is this a is this a crowd pleaser? Or is this just a you pleaser? <laughs> I'm saying it's a crowd pleaser. My husband and I sat down and watched it the other day, 
And we did exactly what the movie demands of us. We stood up and cheered. Wow, no kidding. Awesome. It gave us a lot of the same feelings as Bring It On. It's very snappy dialogue. It's very fun. Sure. It's got all the things you want in this kind of movie, like assembling the misfits together who are going to be the best dance team ever. <laughs> and, and Work It, Doug, has all of the things you asked for. It's upbeat. It's a relatively new release. And... Because it's the holidays, I also want to point out there are family themes in this movie as well about trying to honor our given families, our deceased family members, about being worthy of the love of our chosen families, about loyalty. Ah. And on top of that, the cast is incredibly diverse in terms of race, age, disability, and more. So that's just an added bonus. I really think your whole gang is going to enjoy this, Doug. Again, it's called Work It. Well, I will say this. Um... You know, when Netflix hits the right spot on these on these kinds of movies, they definitely hit it. You know, like they're, they're, there's a there's a lot of dross you got to sift through out there through Netflix. But but once you find a good one, they can be pretty satisfying. So I haven't seen this one, but I'm going to withhold judgment and maybe I'll watch this. I think your kids would love it too, Rafer. Really? Yes. I really think this is an all ages crowd pleaser. You'll laugh your head off. The dialogue is hilarious and snappy. Oh, good. The dancing is good. The music is excellent. And um, yeah, there's like even dancing from like Fortnite throughout the movie. In that case, my kids might like it. That's <laughs> yeah, that's all. That's pretty much all they do is sit around doing doing Fortnite dances and trading memes. Okay. All right. All right. I'll check it out. But what about you, Rafer? What are you going to prescribe to Doug and his family this holiday season? Well, it's funny that you happened to mention earlier um, Jojo Rabbit, because I'm going to recommend a film from the same director. Taika Waititi, uh, Hunt for the Wilder People from 2016. Yes. Which I know you love. You know I love Hunt for the Wilder People. It's such oh. a great movie. It's such a great movie. Oh my movie. gosh, I just grabbed my heart because yeah. my heart is filled with love just when you say the title of the movie. I love Hunt for the Wilder People. But tell everybody about it, Rafer. I, you know, it's so good. And um, it's kind of funny, you know, this was 2016. It was just four years ago. And I think now Taika Waititi is almost a household name. you got Jojo Rabbit, uh, Thor Ragnarok. Um, but anyway, you know, when this movie came out, I think very few people really knew exactly who he was. Um, anyway, uh, the movie takes place in New Zealand, his uh, his home country. It's this very quirky story about a foster kid named Ricky. He's 13 years old. He kind of He's aspiring to be a juvenile delinquent, but he's not very good at it. He, you know, he mostly <laughs> does a lot of low-level vandalism and spitting, things like that. And no couples seem to want him just because he's kind of a jerk. He's kind of difficult. He's a little snotty. And his last hope is with this elderly couple, Bella and Hector. They live out in the middle of nowhere, right on the edge of the bush, which... You know, if I understand New Zealand correctly, is is you know kind of the the outback of New Zealand, this massive, massive, you know, lawless, cityless, townless stretch of jungle, you know, in New Zealand. <laughs> and uh, when Bella, the aunt, who is quite nice, when Bella dies, uh, Ricky runs away, and Hector, uh, his quote unquote uncle, who is not very nice, goes after him to try to catch him. And here's a clip. Oh, uncle, we're famous. Hector Faulkner, 65, and Richard Baker, 13, have been missing now for six weeks. Faulkner is cork... cork Asian. Well, they got that wrong, because you're obviously white. There is a fear for Faulkner's mental health following the recent death of his wife. Police are not ruling out kidnapping. Kidnapping? Park rangers have been alerted for anyone seeing the patient report back to the nearest police station. Oh, Uncle! 
you're basically a criminal now. But on the bright side, you're famous. I think I'm crazy. And Asian. Reefer, I love the relationship between these two characters because there is genuine combativeness. Yes. Irritation. Yes. No holds barred. Like, I don't even know if I like you. And yet utter tenderness. Totally. It is so sweet. And it is such a mixture of all the feelings that make sense for these characters for this movie. And it's also really, really funny. It's really funny and very quirky. And it's got that great sort of, I don't know what to even call that that New Zealand sense of humor, that, that sort of humor that you see in uh, uh, What We Do in the Shadows, which is also a Taika Waititi. It's so jolly and so weird. I mean, I'm saying this as someone married to a Kiwi. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's dry and it's kind, of, it's kind of dopey at the same time, but also really yeah. sophisticated and witty. It's just, it's, yeah. it's really, it's great. Um, you know, and, and, it's, and the characters are great. The acting is great. I, I think, you know, Julian Dennison, who plays Ricky, is really funny. And of course, Sam Neill, who plays Hector. I mean, I got to tell you, in a lifetime of fantastic performances from Sam Neill, I really would put this way up there as one of his best. The character is great. It's like you said, Kristen, he's, you know, he's cranky, he's a loner, he doesn't like people. And, and we all know these, these characters in the movies that eventually, you know, they're really just softies deep down, but he's really not. He's really just a cranky <laughs> guy. He, he really doesn't like anyone. He doesn't actually like Ricky that much. And that's what's so funny about it. And really, I want to I want to make a shout out to uh, Rachel House, who is the actor who plays Paula, the child welfare officer. Who just oh, she's so good. she's just obsessed with Ricky. She just hates him, and she's gonna. She seems to think that he's like he's like some kind of world renowned criminal who needs to be brought down, and she's gonna make it her mission to destroy him. <laughs> she's she's like she just steals the movie, um, and she makes a real brief appearance in Thor Ragnarok, which I thought was great. That was like Taika Waititi's way of like thanking her for this incredible incredible performance that she put in in this movie and it gives her a little part in, in the in the Thor movie. Anyway, I recommend this and I I I I'm I'm sure Christian's going to agree because it's a real crowd pleaser. Young, old, kids, adults, if you're if you're a, if you're a curmudgeon, if you're a if you're a sap, if you want comedy, if you want, you know, action, if you want, you know, a family film, it's just got everything and it's not dumb, it's smart, it's not sappy. It's just a great film. I recommend this to people any chance I get. I 100% agree. I think Hunt for the Wilder People should actually be immediately after dinner. And then maybe you can watch Work It while you're having the pie or maybe if you're like in my household drinking the booze. There you go. There's your Netflix double feature. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so once again, those movies are from Raper, Hunt for the Wilder People, and from me, Work It, both of them on Netflix right now. All right, we're going to take a quick break. But before we do, a huge thanks, as always, to everyone who continues to rate us five stars in Apple Podcasts. For example, Your Devil DDL gave us five stars and wrote, I love this podcast. It is just right for quarantine life and times. It's fun and upbeat and thoughtful. Thank you. Please add more. Easy to binge listen and then want more. Oh. <laughs> You're Devil DDL. Thank you. Thank you. You wrote that a few weeks ago, but as of today, we are up to over 30 episodes. I just want to say that. Yes. Um, I know that it's not as many as some other shows out there. Uh, Ray, for you and I with our last show, when we 
uh, hung up our hats on that one, had well over 300 episodes. So, oh, yeah. So we're nowhere yeah, yeah. near that. But, you know, over 30. So that's something. No, listen, that's great. That's great. Uh, and I'm very proud of it. And you should be too, Kristen. Uh, and <laughs> thank you, your devil, DDL, whatever the heck your name means, we thank you. Thank you so much. Stay with us when we're back. We have a letter from somebody who wants to get a little more comfortable with rejection. There is a corner of Los Angeles where dreams are brought to life. The uh, stuff that dreams are made of. Where stars are born. Made in bars! Top of the world! Where legends are made. It's alive! It's alive! It's alive! For over a hundred years, the world has been captivated by Hollywood. But just beneath the stardust lie a million more fascinating stories. Tales of heroism, villainy, betrayal, passion, tragedy and triumph that when sewn together form an incredible history. The Secret History of Hollywood. Available now wherever you get podcasts. You can spend less time staying in the know about all things gaming and get more time to actually play the games you love with the IGN Daily Update Podcast. All you need is a few minutes to hear the latest from IGN on the world of video games, movies, and television with news, previews, and reviews. You'll hear everything from Comic-Con coverage to the huge Diablo 4 launch. So listen and subscribe to the IGN Daily Update wherever you get your podcasts. That's the IGN Daily Update, wherever you get your podcasts. We're back with our second letter of the week. This one is from Amy. Kristen, why don't you read this one? I will. Amy says, Dear Rafer and Kristen, I'm one of those annoying people who actually wrote a novel during the last eight months of COVID. (laughs) I know, I know, I'm sorry. And now I'm querying (laughs) literary agents. This will hopefully be my debut novel, which means I'm wading into unknown territory. Intellectually, I knew that finding an agent was going to be a slog, and I even reframed it as, I'm trying to collect 100 rejections, rather than, I'm trying to find one person to sign me. But... My head forgot to tell my heart about the plan. I'm only four rejections deep and realizing that I'll need to do more to emotionally steel myself against the coming waves of disappointment. This is such a vulnerable process. I'm looking for recommendations where professionals of any sort, not just authors, finally get their breakthrough moment after trying again and again and again without giving up on their vision or one where they never break through, but they still find a fulfilling, happy ending. Well, first of all, I'm going to say congratulations on, you know, finishing a novel. Uh, any any creative project is a huge endeavor. Don't don't apologize uh, for that. Own it. Be proud. Tell everyone that you've done this thing. I know someone else who has finished a novel um, and is also in the process of getting it sold. This was pre-pandemic, but it's a it's a huge thing. And I know it feels a little you know, you you tend to be a little shy about it, maybe, if it's not, if you're not already sort of an established author. I have another friend who's a, a very well-established author, a, a, you know, a real, you know, comics and and um, and stage plays and novels and screenplays, and he's, he's all over the place, incredibly accomplished guy. But if you're not that guy yet, you know, I understand you feel a little shy about it, but, you know, hey, I say shout out to the rooftops and, you know, tell everyone, hey, finish my novel, shopping it around, and, you know, 
Own it. Own it. That's what I say to you. I disagree. This is embarrassing. You sound like a braggart. Amy, I don't want to hear about everything you've done. (laughs) We get it. You're a big deal. You finished a book in eight months while the rest of us are sitting eating Cheetos on the couch. We get it. No, I'm just kidding, Amy. I'm very proud of you. I am so impressed. This is mind-blowing. Totally. I I am blown away. Like, I, I was only kind of kidding about the sitting on the couch eating Cheetos. Yeah. I do that a lot. I am not writing a novel in eight months. I am so impressed. This is very, very impressive. Like Rafer said, don't be shy about it. Tell people about it. The more people you tell, hopefully, the more contacts you'll get. And those contacts will hopefully lead the way to more people who can maybe introduce you to an agent, introduce you to somebody who can sign you. So, you know, don't be quiet about it. Be noisy about it and hopefully build contacts and get out there and do it. And in the meantime, watch a movie. Watch a movie that Rafer and I prescribe. <laughs> Rafer, I want to hear your prescription first. Oh, okay. Uh, well, all right. I'll go first. Um, this was a tough one because, you know, I, I I thought back to a lot of movies that I know and I was trying to think of movies about, you know, painters, but, you know, a lot of their lives are so tragic and, and you know, and singers and the and the, the music industry and, you know, and I don't, I, I don't, I don't want to tell our, our listener to sleep her way to the top. Like that always happens in these... <laughs> music industry movies. So it was, it was tough. You know what I mean? So um, I decided on a documentary that I'd, I'd kind of forgotten about until uh, it sort of occurred to me out of the blue. It's a documentary from 2010 called Joan Rivers, A Piece of Work. And Can I just interject for a second, Rafer? Of course. Joan Rivers, A Piece of Work. This was the first interview you and I ever did together. That's right. With a famous person or a non-famous person. That's right. Joan Rivers. We met her. That's right. We interviewed her. I almost lost my mind because I was so excited. I was just like, I cannot believe we are interviewing Joan Rivers as our first interview. Me too. Yeah. This was 10 years ago. Oh my gosh. Joan Rivers, a piece of work. Yeah. All right. Now that I've interjected, continue as you were, Rafer. I was, I'm glad you brought that up. I, I remember that. It was, a, it was a great moment. My, my first question was, duh. My second question was, duh. <laughs> <laughs> and then just on and on. But I did my best. You did your best. I, you know, I think we I think we came out OK. Yeah. Well, and this and this movie is really just a very straight ahead, very honest look at Joan Rivers, um, this iconic comedic figure. Uh, it was filmed over the course of something close to a year and a half, definitely more than a year when she was maybe 76, 77, somewhere in there. We learned a few kind of random, interesting, telling things about her. Um, you know, one is that. Uh, she's rich, like like richer, I think, than most of us, certainly I, would have imagined. Uh, you know, you see her apartment somewhere in prime midtown Manhattan, and it's decorated like Versailles, and it's bigger than Versailles. It's just, it's like incredible looking. Two, she's a total workaholic, and I thought that was really interesting. She never stops working, pretty much never turns down a show. If it's not Vegas, it's Wisconsin. Why not? Listen, <laughs> a, a show in Wisconsin is better than no show. And the other thing I thought was interesting was, uh, three, she keeps every joke she has ever told in that giant bureau of index cards, like the kind of like the kind of bureau of index cards you would have you would used to find in the New York Public Library, like you look at it and you're thinking, like, are there thousands of cards in that thing or are there tens of thousands of cards? It's incredible. And she's just it's mind blowing. And she's very honest about her life and her career, her successes, her failures. Here's a clip. is this 
40 years in the business, and this is where you end up. No Vegas, no giant club dates. Kathy Griffin has taken all those. Wouldn't kill you to get me another commercial. Okay. I'll show you fear. That's fear. Last year was a very difficult year. Joan will turn nothing down. I will do anything. I will wear a diaper. These are all my jokes over the last 30 years. Why should a woman cook so her husband can say, my wife makes a delicious cake to some hooker? <laughs> and you wonder why I'm still working. Rafer, I just, I gotta say, this movie really is, in my opinion, the perfect prescription for Amy because you see that things don't always come easy to Joan Rivers. No. Even though she's so funny and even though she's so hardworking. I mean, right. hands down, one of the hardest working people in entertainment ever. And yet things don't always come easy for her. And they should because she's so talented. But right. they don't. Right. And that, and that's what's kind of interesting about, you know, it's, it's, it's a documentary on this, you know, sort of. On her, on her as as she is in this moment, but of course, you know, you you learn about her history and 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 you you see sort of her her rise, you know, and 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 she gets on stage as, as a young comedian. She bombs. She gets on stage again and she succeeds. You know, she she directs her own movie. Do you remember the Rabbit Test from 1978? It was her first and only film as a director, and it was a complete bomb. It starred Billy Crystal as a pregnant man. Nobody thought it was funny. <laughs> like, like when you, when you go back and I remember this, when it came out, the reviews, like you could, you could see people, you could see the reviewers wrinkling their noses. They were so disgusted by that film. Total disaster. She bounces back. She goes on Johnny Carson. She's a hit. She becomes his guest host. She hosts that show like 80 or 90 times, gets her own late night show fails. Johnny Carson never forgives her, never speaks to her again. And it just goes on and on and on <sighs> like that. And I guess that's what I'm saying and what I'm sure Kristen is saying to our listener, to Amy, is this is going to be how it is. What if your novel really doesn't get accepted by anyone? What if every single publisher turns it down? You'll write another novel. And then what if that one gets accepted? But everyone hates it and the reviews are bad. You'll write another one and so on and so on. And what if that one's a hit? And then your follow-up is so bad that everyone stops speaking to you. You'll write <laughs> another novel. And that's just how it goes. You know, I don't want to make any plastic surgery jokes about Joan Rivers, but she definitely had a tough skin. And she was, she was thick-skinned and she just kept going and going and going. Nothing, nothing ever stopped her. I found that really inspirational when I watched it. I was really just sort of stunned by her watching that movie. And so I hope our listener, Amy, I hope you'll find her inspirational too. Yeah. Joan Rivers, a piece of work. It really is the movie. It's a piece of work. It's great. It is. Boy, it's great. Uh, and so, Kristen, what's your suggestion? Well, I feel kind of guilty here because I feel like I stole this idea from you, Rafer. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Last year, you told me your favorite movies of the year, and immediately I went home and I watched them. Okay. And one of your favorite movies of 2019 starred Eddie Murphy. Yes. It's called Dolomite Is My Name. Yes. And and Rafer, I don't know if you remember, <laughs> but like when you told me about it, I'm like, why have I never heard of this movie? This is crazy. Right. No. <laughs> How did I never hear about this? I know. I know. It was a Netflix movie and it just didn't get that much traction, even though the reviews were just overwhelmingly positive. But yeah, you're right. It, it never quite. And we thought it was going to, we thought at the time, everyone thought, oh my God, this is Eddie Murphy's Oscar moment, or at least his Golden Globe yes. moment. 
didn't quite happen for him. But uh, anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm interrupting. You Tell us about this movie, which, which I love. All right. So Eddie Murphy stars as Rudy Ray Moore, a struggling artist trying to get his music played at the record store where he works during the day. He's also <laughs> trying to get on the stage to tell jokes at the club where he moonlights as an MC at night. And despite his repeated requests, he's rejected over and over and over and over and over again. Yeah. At the record store one day, a homeless man comes wandering in, though, begins making loud rhyming proclamations, one of which includes the name Dolomite. And Rudy Ray Moore says, you know what? I'm going to do something with these rhymes. I'm going to do something. I'm going to create a character around Dolomite. And I'm going to get on stage and I'm going to tell some Dolomite stories. And he does. And much to his delight, the crowd likes it. But... Moore wants to take things even further to comedy albums and then to the big screen. Here's a clip. We want this thing to be raw. Tell it like it is on the streets. Yeah, lots of pimps and hoes and cussing. And kung fu and karate. Brothers love all that kung fu and karate. Do you know karate? No, but I'm a fast learner. I can learn how to chop me a mother. You know what we should have? An all-girl kung fu army. Um... You know, there's there's plenty of story opportunity, Rudy. Across this nation, inner cities are being plagued by violent crime. I I feel the government hasn't stepped up. That's it. It's Whitey's fault. The mayor's corrupt, and there's an exorcism. God damn it, an exorcism. Yeah, you know all that. Oh, mother in hell. Um, I don't know how that fits into our urban uh, motif. God damn it, I love this movie. It's so good. It's so good, and it's one of Eddie Murphy's best performances and you know you can tell that Eddie Murphy feels like Rudy Ray Moore you can just tell that he identifies with this character so strongly even though you know even though Eddie Murphy's career was the exact opposite right i mean he was like you know killing knocking him dead at like 19 you know but you can tell I don't know. You can just you can just tell he's got a lot of a lot of uh, it, like his heart just goes out to that Rudy Ray Moore figure. Yes, and we should note Rudy Ray Moore was a real person. This is not. Oh yeah, it's a, no, it's a totally real story. It's and it and it's and it's a great example of um, it's a great example of a like black history and folklore and you know sort of oral tradition. I mean, it, it's I, I don't know what to what to equate the Dolomite character to, but it would be like it would be like. If if I had, it's like a play. It's like playground rhymes. It's like it's like this guy basically just picked up playground rhymes and turned it into a career, turned it into a star, a character that he made a franchise out of. Um, that's totally incredible. Um, a great example of like you know independent filmmaking, mm-hmm. black independent filmmaking specifically. I mean, oh man, it's just it's such a good it movie. It is, and the reason I am prescribing Dolomite is my name to Amy is because. You see that he's in his mid-40s and his career is just starting to happen. Yeah. His career didn't happen at 19 or 25 or even 35. He's, you know, he's well into his 40s. Everyone's rejecting him. Even the most modest requests he's making, like, play my music on the AP system. <laughs> People are seeing the deal. The DJ at the record store, that was all right, that's a great one, right? Even the DJ at the own record <laughs> store where he works won't play his damn record. And the DJ is Snoop Dogg. Yes, that's the best part. Yes. Nobody <laughs> likes what he does, but he still keeps fighting. He still he still tries to make his dreams come true, even if the dreams are just wacky as can be. Totally. And just as you said, Rafer, Eddie Murphy is so 
fantastic in this movie. Man. He's walking this fine line between being so utterly vulnerable and human and upbeat. And also, like, I, I don't know about you, Rafer, but I felt like he was working really hard to be not quite as funny as he actually is. Like, I think Eddie Murphy is so funny in real life. Right. And when he's playing Rudy Ray Moore, he has to be slightly less sophisticated, slightly less funny. Right. A little more vulnerable. A little. Yeah, right. I see. I see what you're saying. That's an interesting point. Yeah, you're right. No, he. it's it's boy. It's such a great performance. I really I really thought I really thought that was going to be just like the Eddie Murphy Oscar gold comeback triumph that year. But just wasn't. I don't know why. But still worth watching. Please check it out. Totally, totally. All right. So so we agree, both of us, on uh, Dolomite Is My Name from Kristen and from me, Joan Rivers, a piece of work. All right. We're going to take another quick break. But before we do, do you need some movie therapy? Visit our website, RaferandKristen.com. There's a contact form there. You can use it. You don't even have to use your real name. Use any name you like. You can call yourself Melissa Rivers. Uh, and if- <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Melissa Rivers, if you're listening, please please, write in. Oh, God, please. Please. Uh, And if you haven't already, (laughs) join the conversation on our wonderful Facebook community. That's facebook.com slash groups slash Rafer and Kristen. When we're back, we're joined by Farai Chidea, who wants to know, what should I watch next? Yeah, Film Vault. We are one of the original film podcasts. That can't be true. There was like two other film podcasts when we began, Brian. How long have we been doing this show? You and I first sat down and did a version of the show over 20 years ago. My God. There is shtick, but it's very little shtick. We finished each other's... Sandwiches? Close enough. Was that a joke on a movie? That, yeah, that's from uh, Frozen. Oh, it is. Pretty bad. Ugh. Oh, look at you. I don't want to be like quoting and, Frozen Anderson, on this Anderson, promo. Okay, peek behind the curtain. Anderson's nope. like the Frozen guy. Like He'll constantly reference animated films, family films, and I'm more the edgy indie guy. We do have the tropey thing going on where Brian does like the big Hollywood sexy summer movies. I'm always looking for like the hidden gems. Mm. Two episodes each week. One. We are review movies and the first episode and the second one, top five time. Top five, different top five every week. Movies that made you cry. Worst movie accents. Most disturbing movies. All right, The Film Ball, check it out. Wherever you find a fine podcasts. That's right, The Film Vault's going on 20 plus years. Welcome to the future in this year's wildest super fun show for adults. Hey gang, it's Josh Olson. And Joe Dante. And we want to tell you about our podcast. It's about movies. Josh, there are a thousand podcasts about movies. Sure, but ours is different, Joe. That's true, actually. Our guests are writers, directors, musicians, comedians, actors. Hell, we even have other podcasters on. We play no favorites, and they don't talk so much about their own work but about the movies that have influenced them and made them who they are. We call it the movies that made me. We've talked with people like Guillermo del Toro, Little Stevie Van Zandt, Martin Short, Ethan Hawke, William Freakin, Barbara Crampton, Jonathan Ross, Dennis Lehane, Mark Duplass, Adam McKay, Lorraine Newman, Jason Reitman, Alison Anders, Elijah Wood, Stephen Canals, Eli Roth, Joe Bob Briggs, Roger Corman, Bobcat Goldthwait, Leon Douglas, Dana Gould, Martin Campbell, Shane Black, Albert Hughes, Emily Deschanel, Joe Biafra, Ari Fessenden, Nicole Hawson, Shotta King, Lee Daniels, Rosalind Chow, Clancy Brown, Yardley Smith, Ike Barrel, Steve Arkett, Thomas Bell, Jim, and Uwe Boll. It may not be high, bro, but it's lots of fun. Subscribe for free on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get podcasts. In color to thrill you as never before. We're back, and it's time for this week's What Should I Watch Next segment. This week, we're joined by Farai Chidea 
journalist, academic, and host of the new podcast, Our Body Politic, from KCRW, KPCC, and KQED. Farai, tell us about the show. Well, thanks. Um, Our Body Politic is by and for women of color, uh, with everyone uh, invited to join the feast, as we like to say. So we have a lot of listeners who are white men, men of color, etc. But really, it's a chance to talk about politics explicitly from the standpoint of Black women, Asian American women, Latinas, and uh, Native American women. And the reality is when we look at the election, that's a really key demographic that doesn't always get served by media. Yeah. I have loved your coverage of the election on the show and all the other topics you've covered from the census to the Supreme Court to public health to indie film. And speaking of film, let's get to your what should I watch next question. You have a good question for us. It's not about indie film. It's about a a bigger film. Tell us what you watched and what you want help with getting something similar to. Yeah, so I watched this film, Annihilation, which is basically this fascinating, weird, trippy film with Natalie Portman. And it's just so, it's completely bizarre and 110% beautiful. And I love science fiction and fantasy, and sometimes I like it when things are beautiful more than they need to make sense to me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think that's great uh, that you saw this film. Um, It's a a great movie, a really interesting movie. Great to have this um, kind of troupe of kick-ass, but also kind of realistic, real-world women, you know, who are going into this weird sci-fi hallucinatory land that they're entering. Um, Super cool. Let me ask this. How did you, how did you find the film? How did the film, how did you make it's, how did you make your way to the film or vice versa? I read about it somewhere and then it was streaming. So I I read about it in like, I think it was probably one of those things that you find. It's like, what's streaming now that you absolutely should watch before it disappears? Right. So that's how I found it. Okay, that's great. So you're so you're not an Alex Garland fan, a fan of the director, Alex Garland? Uh, I don't know what else he's done. I'm kind okay. of a film illiterate. Tell me. No, that's fine. That's fine. That's sort of that's sort of why I was asking. I, I wanted to know. I, I had I had a couple of ideas of of things to recommend to you, and I thought, well, you know, if she's an Alex Garland fan and she likes him, then you know, she may have seen this movie. But if you're not, that's good for me because then I can recommend a pretty good film to you um, called Ex Machina. I don't know if you've heard of it. I have, and I have not seen it. Okay, all right. That's that's great. That's great. Uh, it's from 2014. I'll tell tell you a little bit about it. It's from the same director. Um, it's the story of this guy named Caleb, uh, played by Donald Gleason. I don't know if you know him, the Irish actor, son of uh, Brendan Gleason. Um, well, he plays this guy named Caleb. He's a he's a staffer, maybe like a programmer of some sort, working for this, you know, big successful hipster search engine company. We all know it's supposed to be Google, but in the movie they call it Blue Book. Uh, and he gets invited to the home of the founder, a guy named Nathan Bateman. Um, he's played by Oscar Isaac, uh, and he goes to this kind of weird very isolated uh, mansion of some sort. It's kind of, you know, half modernist upscale cabin and half kind of futuristic compound of some sort. Um, And he gets there and they're having some conversations and it turns out that Nathan has built himself a woman. He's built himself a woman called Ava 
who is mm. an artificial intelligence who just happens to be rather attractive. She's played by Alicia Vikander. Oh, yeah. uh, and Oscar has a test for Caleb. He wants Caleb to spend some time with this quote-unquote woman and decide whether or not Ava has real thoughts. Can she? Is she actually thinking? Does she have a consciousness? Is she self-aware? In, in other words, what he wants Caleb to do is decide whether or not Ava is becoming an actual person. And here's a clip. I'm Caleb. Hello, Caleb. Do you have a name? Yes. Ava. I'm pleased to meet you, Ava. I'm pleased to meet you, too. I've never met anyone new before. Only Nathan. Then I guess we're both in quite a similar position. Haven't you met lots of new people before? None like you. Hmm. So we need to break the ice. Do you know what I mean by that? Yes. What do I mean? Overcome initial social awkwardness. So let's have a conversation. Okay. Well, you know, it's, it's funny. One of the reasons I didn't watch Ex Machina when it came out is that I worry about like the fembot tropes yes. being annoying to me. So how does this rank on a fembot one to 10? Well, I mean, you know, she, she is a little sexy. I don't mind sexy. I, I like the sort of v- vacuous. Cause like, um, <laughs> yeah. Cause uh, if, if, you know, there's been a lot of really great fembots dating back to Blade Runner that are actually have agency, you know? Sure. Exactly. Um, I don't want to give too much away, but this one definitely has what we would call agency. Excellent. Uh, and it's a great movie, and it's a lot of fun. And I think, and one of the reasons I recommend it to you is because, first of all, it's from the same director. Um, and it's, you know, one thing I like about this guy, Alex Garland, is that, you know, he makes these movies that are relatively low budget by Hollywood standards. Like Ex Machina was made for maybe $15 million, which I know is a ridiculously large sum of money, but by Hollywood standards, it's not. Yeah. So you know that the, the effects are not really going to be the thing here. And instead, he uses all the great tools that are available to movie makers, which are you know lighting and sound and mood and atmosphere and his actors. And when you add it up, you get this great kind of... Uh, moody, creepy, erotic, shivery sort of noir that's taking place in this weird, isolated compound. The music is great uh, by Jeff Barrow, the guy from Portishead. Um, mm. And it's just, it's a really great movie. And it's kind of, it's the movie that really put Alex Garland on the map. You know, before this, he'd been a novelist, he'd been a screenwriter, but, you know, so... I would recommend Ex Machina, you know, if you liked Annihilation, which is a much a much more ambitious film in a way. Yeah. Um, but if you liked Annihilation, you know, here here's here's kind of the roots of that movie and where Alex Garland's film career kind of started. Oh, great. I love it. I love it. That's a great recommendation. There you go. Uh, and, and now, Kristen, what about you? All right. I am going to go in a completely different direction. And Farai, I'm afraid you've probably already seen this movie, but maybe you haven't. It is called Velvet Buzzsaw from 2019. Do you know Velvet Buzzsaw? No. Oh, hooray. And I know nothing about it. Oh, I'm so glad you haven't seen it. This this makes me and Rafer so happy because almost every guest we have on, at least one of us names a movie that the guest has already seen. I know. So, 
we're already like winning today in a major way. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> like Charlie Sheen. Yes. So <laughs> Velvet Buzzsaw is a thriller slash horror slash sci-fi satire that pokes fun at the shallowness of the art world and the ways that we assign value to things that don't necessarily come with an obvious price. It stars Zowie Ashton as an ambitious gallery assistant who discovers and steals the ghoulish work of a recently deceased neighbor. Ooh. Renee Russo plays her hard-as-nails boss who displays the stolen art. And Jake Gyllenhaal plays the pompous art critic who has the power to make and break careers with his reviews. Upon debuting the pieces, all three are thrilled to find that the art world is immediately enamored with the stolen art. But... They're also unsettled by what feels like danger lurking around the art. Ooh. Here's a clip. I found something. Who did these? They're mesmeric. A uh, guy upstairs, he died. And you just took them? He had no family or friends. I can make you rich. It's brilliant. Demand has people ready to kill. Have you ever heard of an artist named Ventral Deals? No, not in our records, and we have everyone. The artist used blood to create the reddish blocks. You ever notice anything about this painting? You look at it long enough, it moves. Well, you know, it's it's what's funny, Kristen, is that I love horror, and not everyone does. So, Aha. so this is also sounds like it's going to hit a bunch of sweet spots for me. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. I mean, I didn't even pick it because of the horror. I was afraid that was veering a little too far off from your original request. But it does have a lot of the other things of annihilation. It's trippy. It's beautiful. It's tense. It frequently makes no sense at all, just like annihilation, where you're like, what? <laughs> what is the logic of this? That's true. It also has a mostly female cast. I mean, in addition to the names I mentioned already, Tony Collette is just fantastic in it. And I, I just got to say, it is weird and mysterious in the best possible way. Rafer's about to jump in and say, not true, but I think it's fantastic. I'm not, I was not a fan of, of Velvet Buzzsaw. It's, I, this, is, this, That's is, funny. this is one of those weird things where um, maybe this is a little inside baseball, but this is a movie by a director named Dan Gilroy uh, and Jake Gyllenhaal, who we all know. Um, and it's funny because the two of them did uh, a satire on news, on local news, uh, a few years ago called Nightcrawler, a movie that I loved and Kristen thought uh -huh. was kind of like, eh, kind of dopey and whatever. And I, But for whatever strange reason, Kristen loved Velvet Velvet Buzzsaw, and I just thought it was kind of dumb and obvious. All the all the criticisms that she had of Nightcrawler. Uh, anyway, I love it. I don't want to step all over it, but I was. I, so it's like a different stroke situation here. Yes, it may be. It may be. I was not a fan, but I understand why she's recommending it. I did, and I did think that Jake Gyllenhaal was great, and I love Renee Russo, and it does have some pretty funny, um, kind of cool looking visuals in it. Yes, yes. I'm looking forward to both of them. Excellent. We'll be curious to know what you think of them. Yeah, let us know. Yeah, definitely follow up with us. I will. Once again, those recommendations are from Rafer Ex Machina from 2014, and from me, Velvet Buzzsaw. Farai, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Kristen, and thanks, Rafer. You've given me some food for thought and things to watch. Oh, well, you give us food for thought every day with your podcast. Thank you so much. Everybody out there, if you're not already listening to it, it is so good. It's called Our Body Politic, hosted by the great Farai today. Thank you so much, Farai. Thanks. Well, Kristen, we've wrapped up another chock-full episode of Movie Therapy. Oh, gosh. I cannot believe it's over. I guess it's time to eat a TV dinner and sit alone and watch the TV. <laughs> Kristen, don't, don't do that. <laughs> 
listeners don't hesitate to reach out if you need some questionable advice and a solid movie or TV recommendation. You can email us at ReferandKristen at gmail.com. You do not have to use your real name. And you can tweet us at Rafer Guzman and at Kristen Miser. Reminder, if you have not yet already, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And please tell your friends about the show. It really does help a lot. Until next time, I'm Rafer Guzman. And I'm Kristen Meinzer. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Bye-bye, and happy Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving.